0: The following sermon is from New Life Baptist Church, where we exist to see lives transformed by the gospel as we make, mature, and mobilize disciples of Jesus. To learn more about our church, please visit our website at newlifeba.org. Very good. This morning, it's going to be a part one sermon. Uh, for our text Ephesians 3 verses 1 through 13 and and Becky thankfully thank you very much Becky Uh, she read the first 13 verses Uh, there's a lot in these 13 verses aren't there and so we're going to take it as a two-part sermon series through this passage Uh, and we're only going to just so you know church we're only going to make it to through two verses this morning all right but but that doesn't mean it's going to be a short sermon so don't you worry um but uh but all right, so we're going to go through uh, the first two verses and, and, and in these two verses, we're going to focus first on two. We're going to focus on two things. First, God's providence in Paul's life. And then in verse two, we will see God's purpose for Paul's life. So look at with me. Verse one. Let's go ahead and read it again. Uh, verse one. And we'll see God's providence for, in Paul's life. The Apostle Paul says, for this reason, I Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. So, so notice with me, what does Paul say here? That, that he is a prisoner, right? He's a prisoner. He was arrested. If you remember the, the narrative in the book of Acts, he, he was arrested on false charges made by the Jewish people who accused him of taking a Gentile into the forbidden areas of the temple. And so does that ring a bell from last week's sermon? You remember that wall, that physical wall that separated Gentile from Jew? And, and Paul plays upon that physical wall to say, Christ Jesus, he's broken down the hostility of walls that, that has separated Jew and Gentile. And he has made for himself a one, one new people in himself. Well, well, well these the, the Jewish people, they accused Paul of, of taking a Gentile into the forbidden part of the temple. And, and though Paul did not do this, though this was a false accusation. He faced a hearing before the Sanhedrin, before the Roman governors Felix and Festus, and then because he was a Roman citizen, and because Roman citizens could appeal their case before Caesar, Paul did that. He availed himself of that opportunity, and he was taken to Rome, where he was in essence confined to house arrest. All told, the Apostle Paul was a prisoner for around five years. Five years of unjust imprisonment. In five years of what many of us would say today, if this happened to us, five years of his life wasted, right? That's what we would initially think. But Paul did not view it this way. No, keep reading with me. What does he say? For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner. Don't miss this. He says a prisoner, not of Rome, not of the Jews. What does he say? He is a prisoner of Christ Jesus. And so, uh, our, our perspective on life it dictates how we will respond to life's circumstances, right? Many many times we cannot change our circumstances, but we can choose whether we will give in to the moment, or whether we will trust God's providence in those trying moments. Before we continue, maybe it's helpful to define what that word means. Providence it's a big theological word. What does it mean? What does God's providence mean? Well, in short, God's providence, it's His sovereignty, another big word, uh, but it's His sovereignty, His absolute control over all things at all times, in all places. It's His sovereignty at work, applied in His creation. It is God's active and His personal involvement with His creation, such that He sustains and He directs His, his creation ultimately for the fulfillment of His purposes. My father-in-law, he, he, he's a worship pastor at First Baptist Tulsa. And, and along with that, he has, a, he has a large orchestra and a large choir. And so with, with him being the worship pastor, he is a master conductor. He, he conducts the orchestra and the choir on Sunday mornings. And he's also conducted various productions and plays. And, and so what's the purpose of a conductor? What's well, to make sure all the different parts and all the different pieces of the symphony or of the play, they work together in unison, right? Not to create a chaotic cacophony, but to create a beautiful symphony. And the interesting thing is that in these really big productions, many times the different groups within the orchestra and the choir, they will do all the rehearsals separate from one another, independent to each other. And then it's the job of the conductor to bring this all together and to unite all of these into the symphony. So, so this is just a, an illustration of, of God's providence that he brings together all the different parts of your life and all the different parts of his creation. Listen, church, ultimately for your good and for his glory, for the glory of his great name. And so even in those slow or painful, those suffering-filled moments of our lives, we are to trust that in his providence, God is working to unite all the pieces together. Into a grand symphonic masterpiece. One that exalts and one that points to his glory. And so, one of the most dynamite laden, one of the most hope giving, suffering sustaining, head lifting, feet moving, joy filling, mission enduring promises in all the Bible is Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And so, if you don't have this verse memorized, and this is your homework for today, memorize this verse because this promise alone will sustain you through many seasons of life in in Romans chapter 8 verse twenty-eight, Paul says this and we know for those who love God all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose do you believe that it's easy to believe that right when things are going well maybe when you get the promotion or, or when you buy the house or when the doctor gives you a clean bill of health Praise God, all things work together for good. But what about those moments, right, when you get laid off? What about maybe some of you struggling with chronic financial strain or chronic physical pain? When you receive that diagnosis, you never wanted to hear. Maybe maybe to apply it differently. Maybe... Uh, when you don't see any ministry success from your efforts for months or years on end, we, we go out and we share and we don't see any initial fruit. Well, what then? Are, are the promises of God enough for you? Will you trust in his providence that he is at work in your life, even when you don't see it? Will you trust in him by faith that the omnipotent, sovereign God of the universe He is your heavenly father. And in his wisdom, he's permitted this suffering in your life. And that in his fatherhood, he will care for you through it. And that by his grace, he will sustain you in those seasons. Paul, he was a prisoner, not not justly, but unjustly. He was in a time and in a moment of suffering. But, But he didn't... Focus on himself. He didn't pity his circumstances. He trusted in the providence of God to sustain him through it and to make him fruitful in his suffering. I haven't shared this story publicly uh, before, but but in 2014, uh, I, I, I lived overseas and spent some time in, in the Central Asian region of our world. And, and at that time, you may, you may think of one uh, country that ends in Stan that was prominently in the news. Uh, I, I was living there, and, and I was there teaching English. And, uh, and, and, and as we were there, we'd also, we would also teach English. We would build relationships. We would share the gospel. And uh, we were meant to be in this one part of the country our entire time while we were there. Um, but one morning while I was teaching English at 6.38 a.m., I get a phone call, and it's those words you never want to hear, right? I get a phone call, and on the other end, it's, uh, well, I'll exclude names, but it's my supervisor's wife suddenly and without notice went to go be with the Lord. And so there was shock, right? There was, God, what are you doing? They had invested their lives. And in this country, listen, it takes years upon years upon years upon years upon years of faithful sowing, of faithful presence in this country before you begin to see gospel fruit. And so we were evacuated from from this city. and, And this whole time asking the question, God, what are you doing amid all of this? Well, I'll share you two things, and we don't know all of God's works when He works. God works a million things when He works. But after my supervisor's wife's death, but before her death, she had given a Bible to to a lady, and and in this country, uh, they they honor Jesus, uh, they believe him to be a prophet, and they therefore they honor the Bible, and, and so they put it on their shelf, but but they don't read it, right? They they put it on the shelf just to honor it, but they don't read it. But but this lady said. After I heard of this woman's death, I remembered that she gave me this ketabe Mucadas, this holy book. And So I took it off the shelf and I began to read the Bible, the, the Injil, the New Testament for the very first time. And then also we, we had to evacuate and we went to another city. And it was in that city where we had the most fruitful gospel conversations with people. And, and so why do I share that with you, church? I share that to say, we, we don't know initially how God is at work in our suffering, how God is at work in our circumstances. But listen, church, we need to trust and obey that He is at work and He will continue to use us even in amid our seasons of suffering. Back to our text here. Listen, Paul did not view himself as bound to his situation, he was bound to his Savior. And so he knew that whatever God ordained or permitted in his life, again he knew. He wrote Romans twenty-eight, twenty-eight. So he knew that promise that all things would work together for good, for the fulfillment of his ministry, and for the glory of his great God. Paul would put it this way in Acts twenty, twenty-four. He said, "I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. If only I may fulfill, uh, if only I may uh, complete my ministry and fulfill my ministry to testify to the gospel of the grace." Of God, Paul's aim, his mission, his purpose in life was so tethered to the work of the Great Commission, so much so that when he was physically bound by Rome, he would say, no, I'm only bound to Christ and to his will. So listen, church, I just want to ask you, do you have that kind of confidence and commitment as well? That come what may, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. Will you trust in God's promise, providence, and his promises, in his purpose, and in his paternal love for you? Will you trust that? Will your faith in him remain unshakable? And so listen, I want you to write down those four Ps, either in your head or on a piece of paper, because these four Ps will get you through your seasons of pain, of hardship, and of suffering. And that is, again, God's providence, his promises, his purposes and god's paternal love but but with all those what how did did each one of those words start with god right this is why god through paul commands us to renew our minds in the knowledge of him our trust in god will never exceed our knowledge of him now, to be sure, we can have great knowledge of God. We can have Wayne Grudem's systematic theology textbook memorized and yet not trust the Lord. And it's true that Paul says that knowledge does, knowledge alone does puff us up. But listen, tr- trust apart from knowledge is cannot be sustained. I'm not saying you have to read a lot of books of of, of theology to grow your trust in the Lord, though it's good for us to be students of theology. What I'm asking you is this, going back to one of our previous sermons. Do you know your God? Do you know your God through the study of his word in such a way that when the storms of life come and they will come, that your response will be unshakable trust in his providence, in his promises, in his purposes, and in his paternal love for you. Do you know your God? Which perspective do you view your circumstances from? From a worldly human perspective, from your limited perspective? Or do you view it from a divine perspective? There's a song going around. Uh, it's a bit viral right now, and it's of a little child. Uh, he made up this song, and, and so Emily and the kiddos, they turned me on to this song. They, they taught, me, taught it to me. It goes something like this. It's really cute. You can just you can Google it, um, but it's this little boy who sings this. Thank you for sunshine. Thank you for rain. Thank you for joy. Thank you for pain. It's a beautiful day, and it's a beautiful day. He's thanking, thanking the Lord. And so while we're listening to this, Ruby, she asked me this question. She said, Daddy? Why in the world is this boy thanking God for pain? That's a good question, sweetie. Why is this boy thanking God? Why should we thank God for the pain in our life? Well, it's often, right, through our pain, through our suffering, it's often when God draws most closely to us, right? And God uses our suffering to refine us and to conform us more into the image of his son. C.S. Lewis, he once said, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our consciences, but he shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Paul, he would would put it up, he would say elsewhere that, that we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So listen, church, we can only thank God for the pain in our life if we trust, if we trust in him, in his providence, in his Promises, in his purposes, and in his paternal love for us. So, back to our text. Why was Paul a prisoner of Christ Jesus? What does he say? He says this on behalf of you, Gentiles. And so, do you see, even in that phrase, there, the radical grace of God? How God has taken this formerly Gentile despising Jewish man, right? If you remember, if you read Philippians chapter three, what, what does Paul recount? He says, at the end of the day, I'm a Hebrew of he- Hebrews. I'm the, the, I am the, the model Jewish man you'll you meet. I was schooled and trained by Gamaliel, the, the highest of scholars, of Jewish scholars. Every part of my life was trending toward me. Outwardly, I was righteous like no one else would believe. He was a Jewish man of Jewish men. And yet, how did this formerly Gentile despising Jewish man, how did he become a missionary to the Gentiles? The radical grace of God. God's grace changed Paul's heart toward the Gentile people. And God's calling on Paul made him a servant to these Gentile people. Well, We just uh, celebrated St. Patrick's Day. Uh, I hope all of you uh, wore green uh, on March 17th, I believe. Uh, And so if not, I I did not, so our kids uh, made sure to pinch me. Uh, However, though we celebrate St. Patrick's Day a couple weeks ago, many of us don't actually know the story of Patrick. Patrick, he he was born in the late 4th century, around 385 AD, in, in what is now Northeast England. But at the age of 16, Patrick was kidnapped by Irish pirates and he was taken back to Ireland as a slave. But though he was brought to the island of Ireland as a slave, it was in his captivity that God saved him and made Patrick truly free. Patrick would go on to miraculously escape from his captors and make it back to his home in England. A while back in England, at the age of 48, Patrick had a dream in which an Irishman pled with Patrick saying, we appeal to you, holy servant boy, come and walk among us. And and so having this dream and, and having known the language and the customs from his captivity and having long strategized about how the gospel might go to the Irish people, these barbarian people at the time, he answered the call to return to the place of his captivity to return to the place of his pain with a message of the joy of the gospel. The slave returned to his captors to proclaim freedom that can be found in Christ Jesus. In one of Patrick's most well-known quotes is this, Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit down, Christ when I rise, Christ to comfort and to restore me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ in quiet, in Christ in danger. Listen, church, God's grace is powerful to change the heart of any sinner, to give you love for those who previously wronged you. And his calling is powerful to sustain his people, even in the face of great hardship and suffering. And you might think, why, why did God permit? Why did God permit Paul to be a prisoner these five long years if paul was this apostle to the gentiles wouldn't you think in our right in our wisdom we would think it best right unhindered access and unhindered travel to all the remote gentile places so why would god permit paul to be imprisoned for five years what paul says in philippians chapter one he says this i want you to know brothers that what has happened to me has really served listen to this paul's imprisonment had actually served to advance the gospel so then it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard. These were the bodyguards. And think, think uh, secret service in CIA of Rome. The imperial guard, it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Paul's imprisonment, it didn't hinder his mission. It further propelled him in his mission of proclaiming the gospel. And in Acts 28, it says that Paul was in house arrest in Rome for two years. And when he was in this house arrest, he welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Paul, he was shackled by Rome, but he was unhindered in his ministry to proclaim the gospel to all people. His unjust imprisonment, his suffering, it didn't hinder his ministry. It propelled his ministry. So listen, God doesn't purpose to use us only in our seasons of prosperity. He also purposes to use us in our seasons of pain. So I ask again, which perspective will you view your circumstances from? From a worldly human perspective Will you give in to your present circumstances or will you trust? I'm going to repeat. Repetition breeds remembrance. And so, listen, church, I'm intentionally repeating myself. Will you trust in his providence, in his promises, in his purposes, and in his paternal love for you, come what may in life? We've seen God's providence in Paul's life, but secondly, we see this morning God's purpose for Paul's life. Read with me verse two, where Paul says this, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. And so here, Paul is addressing the new believers in Ephesus who had not previously known him personally while Paul ministered there. And in this verse, he's reiterating his authority as an apostle of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to study this more in depth next week. But but Paul reminds the Ephesians that he was set apart and called by God to be an apostle and a minister of this gospel according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to him by the working of God's power. Paul, he did have a unique apostolic calling on his life to reveal and to make known the gospel of grace to the Gentiles and to us today through God's word, through the writing of God's word. But notice, notice how Paul describes his ministry, his apostleship. What does he say in our passage? That he was what? He was a steward of God's grace. And so for the remainder of our time, I want us to focus on that phrase here. The stewardship of God's grace. Now that word stewardship, it primarily referred to the management of a household or, or business on behalf of someone else. Right? So think about I mean, you're buying, you're selling, you're, you're bookkeeping, you're planting, you're harvesting, or you're doing whatever else needs to be done for another person. Paul, he was made a minister of Christ by God's grace and by his grace alone. right? Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 15, by the grace of God, I am what I am. He was called to the ministry by God's grace, but then... He became a steward of this same grace. And so listen, church. Yes, Paul's ministry was unique since he was an apostle. In the apostolic age, it ended with the 12 apostles. So it doesn't continue today. His ministry was unique. But while Paul's measure of grace was very different from us today, listen, his calling to steward God's grace it's the same calling that every single one of us, every single follower of Jesus has been given. You see, every Christian is called to be a steward of the gifts and the grace of God. 1 Corinthians 12, Paul would say this, that there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. There, there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. Those who have received God's grace are now called to be stewards of this grace, and we're called to utilize our giftings and to proclaim God's grace to those who have yet to hear. Or maybe to, maybe to put it another way, a Christian saved by grace is a Christian sent to proclaim this grace. Does God place a special calling on some of his children to be missionaries or pastors? Yes, he does. But listen, church, God has commissioned every single one of us to be a minister of the gospel. There, there's no separation between the cloth and the layman in the kingdom of God. We, we have been given a calling to be harvesters in the work of the Great Commission. You are an ambassador of Christ. I would say in 2 Corinthians 5, you are a minister of reconciliation. The, the most influential church in, in the early New Testament period, it was the church at Antioch. And in this church, it served as the home base for Paul as he would he would go on his missionary adventure, his missionary adventures, and then he would come back to this church at Antioch. It was, in terms of gospel advance, one of the, if not the most influential church in the first century. But listen, who planted this church? Was it Paul? Was it Peter? Was it one of the other apostles? Now, in Acts 11, 19 through 21, it says this. Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose after Stephen, they traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But then there were listen to this, there were what? Some of them. Men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, the Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. So did you catch that? I tried to enunciate it. Who planted the church of Antioch? This influential church that that, that supported and that was the mothership for the spread of the gospel to the ends of the earth. Who planted this church? We don't know. It says some of them, there were unnamed, faithful Christians who were empowered by the same spirit of God and who preached the Lord Jesus. So my prayer has been church. My prayer is that God would raise up within our church an army of unnamed, ordinary, faithful, fervent followers of Jesus here at New Life Baptist Church who are empowered by the same spirit of God to preach, to proclaim, and to share the good news of Jesus, that he saves, he redeems, he transforms, and he restores lives. And may the good hand of the Lord be upon us as a church as we seek to see lives transformed by the gospel in our neighborhood. So church, let's pray for that. Like, let's seriously pray for that. Let's fast for that. Let's believe that God still desires to powerfully use our church to see a great number in our neighborhood believe and turn to the Lord. So I just want to ask you personally, do you believe that's possible? Do you desire this? If so, I want to encourage you to devote yourself to the task of the Great Commission. Yes, the Apostle Paul was uniquely gifted, and yes, he was graced by God to make known the mystery of the gospel to the Gentile people and to us today. But listen, church, the same spirit who empowered Paul's ministry is the very same spirit who dwells within you right now if you are a Christian. And he seeks to empower you in the ministry he has given you. If you're a Christian, if you have received God's grace, you have been uniquely gifted by the Holy Spirit. You have gifts and measures of grace in unique ways that I don't and vice versa. We, we are all parts of this one body, but we have different functions and giftings. And so I want to ask you personally, how are you stewarding the grace and the gift of God in your life? In his commentary, John MacArthur, he says this. He said, every believer is a steward of the calling, spiritual gifts, opportunities, skills, knowledge, and every other blessing he has from the Lord. Everything we have belongs to the Lord and we are therefore entrusted as stewards to manage our lives and everything we possess on behalf of the one to whom they belong. So again, I wanna be extremely practical here by asking you this question. How will you invest your life? What kind of steward of this grace that you have been given? What kind of steward will you be? Jesus says that every follower of his, right? You will bear fruit. If you've been reading through our two-year Bible study, you're waiting for the plug. Here it is. And if you're reading through our two-year Bible study together as a church, or Bible plan as a church, we just read through John chapter 15 this past week. And what did Jesus say in John 15? Abide in me and I in you, and you will bear much fruit. Or maybe to ask the question another way what adjective would the Lord use for you when it comes to your stewardship? Would would these adjectives be true of you? Which one? Faithful and fervent or slothful and unconcerned? Now, now I don't ask you that to guilt you (laughs) into service or to beat you up in any possible way, but it's good for us to reflect and to honestly take inventory. So listen, if you would say, man, those first two groups of words, those first two faithful and fervent, if that would describe me, then, then two things. First, I want you to be encouraged. Be encouraged. And remember, and then secondly, remember that your faithfulness, it's all owing to God's grace at work within you. But but if you would be honest and say, maybe those second set of words, slothful and unconcerned, maybe that would describe you. Then then I want to encourage you in two Two ways as well. First, I want to encourage you to to repent of your slothfulness. Listen, church, if we read, going back to John chapter 15, Jesus says what? He prunes those whom he loves. (laughs) In pruning, if you've ever pruned a tree, or if you've more specifically, if you've ever experienced the pruning of the Holy Spirit in your life, pruning is never pleasant, right? It is painful. It requires cutting away of things in your heart in your life true repentance it's never pleasant it is painful but listen the pain and the pruning of repentance produces the fruit of righteousness within us and so i encourage you first if that, if that those second set of words might describe you to repent but then also listen i want secondly for you to take heart this morning take heart you remember at the end of the gospel of john when when jesus after uh, peter denied our lord 3 times how did Jesus respond to Peter? Did, 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 did Jesus see, uh, see, uh, sit Peter on the sidelines? Did he give Peter a season of probation? Or, or did Jesus give Peter a second chance to go out there and prove himself? No, how did Jesus respond to Peter when he failed Jesus? He reminded Peter of his stewardship, of his calling by saying what? Feed my lambs, tend my sheep, Peter. Feed my sheep. Jesus reminded Peter of his calling and he re-enlisted Peter into his service. And I think maybe I'm praying that he's doing that for some of you this morning. He's reminding you of your calling, that you are a steward of this grace. And listen, church, he is re-enlisting you back into his service this morning. If you hear his voice this morning, do not harden your heart, it would say in Hebrews. Hebrews. And so there are some here this morning who need to be encouraged to continue faithfully. And there are others this morning who need to be encouraged and reminded that you are a steward of his grace. Be encouraged and remember that the Holy Spirit, he has uniquely gifted each one of you, each one of us for service. And he has promised to empower us as we serve Christ. And so until the Lord calls us home or until he returns, In church, he's calling us personally and collectively as a church to be a steward of this grace. So, I'm going to press it again, even more, one more step practically. If you're physically able, one opportunity to be a steward of this grace. If you're physically able and if you're not providentially hindered, I want to encourage you to join us this Wednesday, this Wednesday, and next Wednesday as we go door to door. Now, there's going to be a group of us, right, who's going to stay back and pray. There's going to be. And so if you maybe you're not not physically able to walk that distance, go door to door. I encourage you to come and to join your brothers and sisters and pray, pray for us. And then there's going to be a second group who goes out and goes door to door to meet our neighbors and to share the good news that Jesus saves. And so that's one opportunity that, that we have upcoming to be a steward of this grace. Join us this Wednesday and next Wednesday. And then another opportunity, church, to be a steward of this grace is to serve in our soon-to-be-restarted children's ministry. You have the opportunity to invest in the lives of children, to lay the spiritual foundation for the rest of their lives by teaching them the Bible, sharing with them the good news of Jesus, and showing them how to faithfully walk in obedience to Christ. As we read in our call to worship, Psalm 145 says this, One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. And so what an amazing opportunity we have, church, to steward God's grace, to be a steward of his grace by declaring the mighty works of God to the next generation. So I want to encourage each and every one of you to consider prayerfully, to prayerfully consider serving in our children's ministry or in one of the other ministries that we're going to soon be starting as a church. I know some of you have signed up and I just want to encourage many more to sign up in this good effort. In conclusion, we have seen this morning that through the life of Paul, how we are to first trust in God's providence in every season of life we are faced with and how we are called to be stewards of his grace. So may God then give us great grace as a church that come what may in this lifetime that we will trust again in what his providence, his promises, his purposes and his paternal love and that we will remain faithful to steward his grace by serving Christ and telling our neighborhood and the nations how the grace of God can change lives. God's grace has changed your life and it can do the same for others as well. And maybe you're here this morning and if you're honest you would say that that maybe you haven't had a saving experience of God's grace. Maybe maybe you've grown up in church, maybe you've done the religious thing, but you don't know Christ personally. Maybe when I asked you, do you know your God? Your answer was, I don't. Well, this morning, Jesus, he invites you to come to himself to receive the forgiveness that he freely offers to you by faith in the gospel. The gospel is the good news that even though we have sinned, and deserve God's punishment. Jesus came to this earth by dying, on, and he died on the cross and rose from the dead so that we could be forgiven and have eternal life. This is the good news that can change everything about your life if you would trust in Christ this morning by faith. Let's pray. Father, I know that there are many in our church walking through seasons of sickness. Walking through seasons of physical pain. Walking through times of financial strain. Walking through maybe relationships in their lives that, that aren't marked by unity, but that are marked by hostility, even though they've tried to reconcile So Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters who are in those seasons of life. That you would be near to them and that they would trust in you. That you care for them. Not only as a God to his creation, but as a father to his children. Pray that they would draw near to you and the promise is that when we draw near to you, you have said you will draw near to us. Father, I pray that you would be faithful to your promises, that you would show my brothers and sisters your purpose in their pain and that they would trust in your love. And Father, I pray for us as a church collectively that we would be stewards of this grace, that we wouldn't be hoarders of this grace, but that we would be stewards of your grace or an outpost of your kingdom in this neighborhood. And so pray, Father, that That you would bless us, that you would increase our ability, our capacity, that you would your grace would would multiply our efforts. And Holy Spirit, that you would go before us this Wednesday and next Wednesday in Easter service and that you would work through us to see lives transformed by the gospel. We pray all this in Jesus name. Amen. We're going to enter into now a time of response. And so as the Lord has spoken to you this morning, I encourage you to respond to respond to him during this time. And and just so you know, after the service, I will be up here if you have any questions or or have any questions, want to know how to follow the Lord, would be happy to pray with you and to walk with you.
1: The altar is open if you'd like to come and pray.
2: Lord, prepare.
0: of cards in the back, they're in the back on the tables back there. And so pick up a card. This is an easy way as you as you're going through the grocery store, as you're talking to a neighbor, uh, as you mentioned our church, this is a very easy follow-up to say, hey, here's some info about our church. Uh, and we we on the back we have some info and you can just invite them to join us uh, on a Sunday morning. Uh, with that. And again, church, I just want you to know my, my, my goal, and my aim, right, our, our art in all of this. It's not to grow our church, not to build our numbers. We want to be used by God to advance his kingdom in our neighborhood and among the nations. So with that, our benediction comes from then the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, where Jesus said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And so, church, in light of that truth, we are to go, therefore, and to make disciples of all nations, knowing that as we do this, as we do this, Jesus is with us always, wherever we go to the very end. Amen, church. Go in peace. You are sent. You ran. Stand right above this and push this red button twice, push it two times. Sister. Okay. you get this on? Oh, she's right. got it on for you. Oh. Okay. And I'll let you get dark and be at home. Okay. <laughs> Miss Tammy?
1: Restaurant, but she wasn't feeling good, so we planned on going to the coffee house on Cheer Street. Everything's uh, gluten free, nice. and so I said, So then she said, 'Go to work.' Free. A majority, oh, my of the I don't think I realize like that. Yeah, I'm trying to do better with my gluten.
3: I feel better. I get.
1: Um, so, um, anyway, I'm just a little kid. Well, you're starting
0: to call Do You want me to help you? Yes. What? Bye
1: um, get- bye. Well, you are yarn at home. Uh, it's yeah. my time teeth teeth to teeth chill it out. I should I should it to somewhere. Sure it. Oh, did you see the rugs that we got for that children's yeah. ministry? Yeah. Yeah. There, there are a few back there. Okay. Let me help you because she's getting a sister, okay? Remember, it's just going to happen again, okay? Because it's hard to tie with paper. Yeah.
0: Yeah, well, can you, hey, Noah, can you tell us anything? My phone
1: on my Noah,
0: can you tell
1: us anything? Oh, did you
3: not have it? you yeah. oh, do yeah. well.
1: No. Okay. All right, I think I'll have it. Look at you. Yeah. Big girl. Wow. I think that part. Okay. Well, thank you. Okay, y'all have a great week. Bye, Debbie. You, and we find time we have you and Donna. I have it. It's, we we just. Hi, i love to. Yes, i do.
3: Thank you for listening to today's sermon. If you have any questions or if we can serve you in any way, please connect with us at newlifeba.org.